everyone. So glad you're here today. Uh, this uh, morning, we're bring, beginning a new series that we're calling In Christ. And I was thinking about Paul's words in Ephesians 3, where he talks about how God has given him grace, even though he's the least of all the saints, that God gave him grace to proclaim to the nations the incalculable riches that are found in Christ. That God gave him grace to shed light for all nations about the mystery that's been hidden for ages in God who created all things. That in Christ there's this multifaceted wisdom that's now been made known to the church, to the nations, to rulers, to authorities. And, uh, and that it's God's eternal purpose in Christ that we would be able to approach God with confidence and boldness and have access to him through faith in Christ. This season, we just want to unpack the riches of Christ. And uh, will we be able to exhaust all the riches of, of wisdom and knowledge in Christ? Absolutely not. But we can try. We can enjoy having fun trying. And so that will be uh, what this series is all about. Uh, before I jump in uh, to the first message, I've got something exciting that I need to share with you that developed over the last week or two. Uh, I think God has always been on the move. He's always provided for our church in unexpected ways, surprising ways. And this last week, uh, I was like, well, this is a new one. I haven't ever had anybody approach me this way before. But somebody came and they said that uh, from now through the end of the year, they would be willing to match every dollar given to the vision fund. They would match every dollar given. They would double whatever's given. Uh, up to like $30,000 between now and the end of the year. And I thought, that is awesome. Because we, uh, we're going to be debt-free in 23. We're going to be debt-free as a church. We're going to clear the way so that we can take our next steps of faith and vision as a congregation. And, and getting the debt out of the way is a piece of that. So we have an opportunity uh, to give this month to the vision to have our gifts doubled. If you give a dollar, it's like giving $2. If you give 1000 it's like giving $2,000. And, uh, but then, I was like, that's pretty awesome. But then I got a second phone call from a couple in our church. And they said they would like to do the same thing, and they gave me a number. And then a third couple called me. And these, uh, you know, I'm like, okay. And they said, we would like to match up to a certain. So essentially, there's $60,000 available in matching funds. You give to Vision, our church up to, we could decimate our debt down by like $120,000 over the next month or two if we use those matching funds. So I wanted to mention that to you as an exciting opportunity, something for you to pray about. And it wouldn't be hard for our church uh, to, to give those funds and, and, and have them matched and really accelerate things for our ministry. So please pray about that. And, and give some thought about that. All right. Uh, a few weeks ago, I met with a friend that I've had since childhood. And we've been bantering back and forth on Facebook, swapping jokes and bemoaning the bears and sharing random family news here and there, uh, stuff we've been doing for years. By the providence of God, I've run into this individual a few different times. Uh, he doesn't live locally, but... When we've been out and about, we've run into him. It's kind of an interesting thing. But all these years that we've reconnected, we've not really had the opportunity to sit down and talk. Guys don't usually sit down and talk. You know, we're usually doing an activity. You're going somewhere. Something else is on the radar. But we just had an opportunity, and we sat down, and we just started talking. 
for whatever it's worth, one of my biggest regrets in life is not maintaining a lot of friendships that I had early on in life from childhood. Uh, there's all these folks, you know, I think when I was younger, I was so eager to kind of run from the past and, and move on to other things that I never really looked back. And God's kind of saying, you know, there's some people that you need to reconnect with, and, and this is one of them. Well, we had no trouble picking right up where we've left off, and we have so many shared memories together and everything, and, and uh, we talked, and it was awesome. And after a while, I asked, I said, so are you walking with God these days? Uh, are you part of a church? Is that even a thing for you? And he told me that he had attended some awesome churches. Every time he said something, I had more questions, but I didn't want to pester him with too many questions. But he had attended some awesome churches. But no matter how hard he tried to get it, he couldn't get the God thing. He couldn't feel the God thing. And when he told me that, my heart just sank through my chest. And I was kind of overwhelmed for a moment with incredible sadness to think about what he was saying. But I know a lot of people that feel no connection with God whatsoever. And now, my friend's main reason for attending church was he didn't want to deprive his kids of a life of faith should they want to pursue it. Uh, he didn't disrespect faith. He wasn't down on faith, but he's like, if it is my kid's thing, I don't want to get in the way of that, and we'll go to church for their sake, and maybe something will you know, take shape in their lives or whatever, and, and we don't want to deter that. And he was doing for his kids what his parents did for him. Ironically, later in life, my friend's dad became a pastor. And recently, his dad tried to persuade him to trust in God, to get saved. And uh, the father said, you know, his fear was uh, your, your mom and I spending eternity in heaven without you and your sister because him and his sister don't believe, they don't get it, they don't feel the God thing. But the whole religion thing feels a little bit contrived and a little bit coerced to him. And as he was talking about that, I found myself relating to his story in this way. Have you ever experienced someone trying to coerce you to believe something? I mean, we are coming right out of Thanksgiving, and some of you still have some Thanksgiving gatherings ahead of you, but, but have you ever been subjected to conspiracy theories uh, over Turkey? You know, is that a thing in your family? I don't even know how to respond to most of the stuff I hear these days. You know, I just shake my head. Uh, I try not to roll my eyes. I try not to smirk. It's like, where do you even begin to kind of like unravel the, the layers and layers of assumptions and things that people think and believe? A, a lot of people's beliefs just aren't plausible. And as you're talking to them, you get the sense that their, their, their thoughts are rooted in fear and emotion and, and, uh, and not anything rational. And so that's a real, you've been in that place, haven't you? Uh, this past summer, uh, I chainsaw carved an enormous uh, seven-foot Bigfoot uh, in, in the likeness of my neighbor. He's a, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, he's actually here this morning. But anyway, sorry, Adam. I had to throw that in there just for your entertainment. But, but I, I carved this seven-foot uh, Bigfoot. And uh, at first, I carved a three-foot version because I was like, if I'm going to spend all that time on this big one, I've got to do a little one and practice first. Uh, it was a commission piece. A couple had asked for it. And in all sincerity, I'd always heard about Bigfoot stuff or Sasquatch stuff. 
Maybe it's been in movies. I don't even know where all I've been exposed to it. But I always assumed that all of the Bigfoot stuff was tongue-in-cheek. And so even as I was carving these things, I was like, this is kind of funny. This is kind of, you know, whatever. But I began encountering people that because I was carving these things, they assumed that I was a true believer. And so there's true believers in Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And not just a few, there's a lot of them. They were coming out of the woodwork. They felt a comfort to open up with me about their beliefs. And they were quite sincere. Uh, and, and just like there's Christian apologists, Christian defenders of the faith, there are Bigfoot apologists. There are Bigfoot defenders of the faith. And just like there's proper Christian doctrine and, and right thinking about God, there's also like beliefs and doctrines and right things about Bigfoot and wrong things about Bigfoot and and uh, I had people not mention any words about what was true and what was false and what was real. And when we talk about our belief in God and when we drill down into Jesus Christ, sincerely, despite our sincerity, for some it's as if we're sharing conspiracy theories. For some it's as if we're passing on Bigfoot folklore. For some it's like we're passing on folklore about Christmas or Christmas things. Uh, for a lot of people, God, belief in God, especially belief in Jesus Christ is tongue-in-cheek. It's okay. I, I allow space for you to believe that. But don't expect me to take your belief serious. Don't try to evangelize me about it. And, and certainly don't expect me to take Jesus seriously. And so we're coming into a Christmas season where a lot of people's attitude toward God, toward Christ, toward faith, is much like maybe your attitude toward Bigfoot or your attitude toward conspiracy theories or whatever else or Christmas folklore. Uh, it's not that it's harmful. It's just don't ask me to take it really all that serious. And uh, when I mentioned running from kind of my past, uh, that was only part of the picture. You know, when I say I was running from my past, you know, I realized in the relationships, if I would have continued in those relationships that I had growing up, that there is very little positive and encouraging or redemptive about those relationships. You know, you're kind of put into a box sometimes, and, and it can be a real toxic type situation. And, and sometimes you just reach a point where you have to hit that relational reset button and, and kind of evacuate and just kind of like try to get a fresh start. And that was kind of what I was referring to. But my bigger issue was, my bigger problem growing up was philosophical. Metaphysical, spiritual in nature. In physics, we were taught about time, space, and matter. In high school, for example. In college, we were taught about the laws of nature. In biology, you know, you're taught about the mind-boggling, like seemingly irreducible complexity of, of living things from some microbe under a microscope uh, to what is the most sophisticated and beautiful thing that's in a, a human being is the, the most complex uh, at every, in, in every imaginable way, the most complex thing that we can behold in this universe. But you're taught about that. You're taught about all these things. But you're also taught that any notions about God, uh, you know, any notion about God draws head shakes and smirks and eye rolls. That was, you know, I assume that any thought of God would be irrational or received as indefensible. And so, and yet, even though that was true, I've never been able to stop thinking about God, even from a young age. There's always been a mystery of God that has enthralled me, that I've wanted to understand and dig into and unpack and, and not just take 
people's dismissals at face value, to really want to, so just like there are some people who, no matter how hard they try, they can't believe in God or even open themselves to the idea of God or feel God. I simply couldn't dismiss the idea of God, not just because it was too big and wonderful of an idea, but because I couldn't make sense of anything else without that piece being put into the middle of the puzzle. Uh, So at the same time, though, I will say this, even though some of that was true, I couldn't just leap into faith. I've met people that just seem to effortlessly leap into faith. I just couldn't blindly leap to all the conclusions that I knew Christian people, though loving, though very sincere, wanted me to leap to. I couldn't leap to all the conclusions that everybody wanted me to leap to, that they wanted me to reach. I had to be true to my own kind of process. And I needed to let God kind of meet me where I was, even though other people weren't willing to meet me where I was all the time. Otherwise, my faith wouldn't be my own. It would be pressured, it would be coerced, it would be borrowed, or something worse. I didn't want that. I wanted to be sincere to where I was and the questions that I was wrestling with and this relationship with God. Now, if you're like my friend, or maybe if you find yourself relating to what I'm describing, I want to give you an invitation this Christmas. This Christmas, why not give belief in God and specifically belief in Jesus Christ a full hearing? Why not give it a full hearing? When a lot of people say they don't get God, they're not really trying to dismiss our journey or dismiss where you or I may be in faith. A lot of times I think they're asking us to dig deeper or they're asking us to help them dig deeper and to sort things out a little deeper. And and I have to have a little bit of sympathy because how well would you find God in the modern church? You go to church... And we talk about a lot of things at the edges. And we assume there's this shared knowledge and shared faith. And we ask people to take a lot of leaps. You know, like we expect them to hit the ground running. There's like no on-ramp off the interstate. You're supposed to go from from zero zero to to 80 mile an hour. You know, holiday traffic. You got to go from zero to 80 mile an hour. You know, just like that. And it's really hard to get into the flow of faith when you have to accelerate so rapidly and make such extraordinary leaps. A lot of times people want us to give them an on-ramp into where we are. Now, a question that haunts me as a preacher is, who am I to ever lead someone on such a journey? And am I even qualified? When the Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians 3, he says, you know, grace has been given me, but I'm like the least of all the saints. You know, I'm probably the last person that should be having these conversations or trying to lead people on such a journey. And, And there's a kind of humility we have because can we really give justice to the full riches of all the wonder and glory of of God and Christ? Can we really even give justice to that conversation? Can we talk about it substantively? Can we we really take people deeper into that thing? And that, that is a humbling thing to contemplate, whether we're qualified. We can only pray that God will take conversations far deeper into a person's soul than is humanly possible. And I think that's exactly what God does. God has to connect the dots for a person. He has to fill the voids of wisdom and knowledge and doubt in a person's mind. We can come alongside. We have a a significant role. But pray, pray, pray. We have to really pray. 
uh, as we hold out this mystery of Christ to folks, I think it's something that God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 4.29. It's repeated in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New. I think it's one of the great promises of Scripture where God tells the nation of Israel through Moses, he says, you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. I can't expect you to take a leap. I could ask you to take a leap, but I wouldn't want you to if I, if I could. What, I, what we can do is ask one another to seek God with all of our heart and all of our soul. We can give that invitation to folks. We can't make a person find God. I don't think we can make God be found. We can only preach. We can speak. We can pray. We can reason with folks. We can explain. We can give understanding and context. But at the end of the day, I think God's spirit must contend with each individual person's spirit and mind. And God is perfectly willing to do Uh, When you seek God with all your heart and all your soul, you will find him is a promise that God makes. If you're a person who doesn't get God, you don't feel God. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that have sat in the church their whole life that that is true of. They mask it. They go through the motion. If that's you... Have you sincerely opened your heart and mind? Have you given God a fair and full hearing? Uh, I think a lot of times we hear all these disjointed bits and pieces of stuff. We take a little sip here, we take a little sip there. But have you really taken a long, deep, satisfying drink of a knowledge of God, of, uh, of a knowledge of Christ? Have you really heard the Christian perspective fully on your life, on reality, on all these things? I think a lot of times we haven't. And so we dismiss something that we've never really taken the opportunity to venture very deep into. You know, we say, yeah, I've seen all this start. Wait a minute. You know, we just launched another telescope and realized that there's a whole other universe behind all the universes that... You know, it's, it's bigger and grander than we ever, the riches are, are, are grander than we ever could have met. You're never going to, exa- have you really given it a deep and fair and full hearing, this news of Christ, of life in Christ? I'm praying that maybe God can use this message and the messages through December to stir you to sincere faith. I'm praying that God will make up whatever shortcomings or inadequacies uh, I have, that you and I have, and that maybe he can use us as an instrument, that he can give us grace to shed light on the the power of this thing that we have, this relationship with God in Christ. This Christmas, would you dare to contemplate the wonder of all wonders, to clear away all the other distractions and all the other noise, And really, just come before God, the wonder of all wonders. The ancient philosophers refer to this, by the way, as the mystery of all mysteries. That was a Greek philosophical idea, the mysterion. And the Greek philosophers uh, harnessed every resource of their intellect to try to answer these these big questions of life, philosophically, metaphysically, spiritually. And and they did their best. They threw their, their best intellects at these questions. And what the Apostle Paul says is that that mystery... 
God sheds light on it in the person of Christ. If we would behold the wonder of all wonders, if, if we were to take this piece and try it out for size in the puzzle of life, maybe it would orient and make sense of all the other pieces and, and we could really have a full understanding of life and fullness in life. Now the Bible answers the most fundamental question of reality with just a few words. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That God's the starting point. He's the big piece, right? Did everything truly begin with God? You have to wrestle with that question. You have to wrestle through that question. You can't just leap. You, you have to really wrestle with that. And if not God, then who or what or how or when or even why is, is all the things of life the way they are? Whatever spawned all of this? Now, the atheist says, in the beginning, time. In the beginning, space. In the beginning, matter. Time, space, and matter just coexisted. They're kind of like co-eternal realities, uncreated, self-existing realities. Uh, in the beginning, time, space, and matter. And atheism's twin cousin is agnosticism. Agnosticism is a, is a notion that even if there is more to reality, more to time, space, and matter than we can understand... We can't know anything about it. We can't make much of it. It's really sad, but billions of people, for billions of people, even in the church, not only is Christmas dead, but God is dead. Hope is dead. Their reality is time, space, and matter, and there's nothing transcendent whatsoever to contemplate or to really take seriously anyhow. What do you find compelling about atheism? What do you find compelling about agnosticism? Atheists love to ask this question. They'll say, if there's a God, then where did God come from? And a lot of parents get very perplexed when their children ask that question. Uh, they'll, they'll ask very innocently and very sincerely, who created God? But this question really just displays that we're not thinking of the right scale. We're not thinking of God in large enough terms. One apologist, uh, a defender of the faith, explained it this way. The God of the Bible is not affected. He's not bound by time or space or matter. If he's affected by time, space, or matter, then technically he's not God. Time, space, and matter are what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence in the same instance. You can't conceive of time without space or space without matter or any of them uh, in a void of each of the other. If there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, then when would you put it? You cannot have any of these things independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. Uh, the Bible explains this mystery in 10 words. That in the beginning of time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And so you have time, space, and matter. But these, these things are kind of a trinity in and of themselves. Time, space, and matter, they're a trinity. They're, but they're a trinity of trinities because with time you have past, present, and future. And with space you have length and width and height. And with matter you have things that are solid, liquid, and gas. 
And, and everything we know uh, is, is bound by time, space, and matter. But the God who created them is outside of those mere realities. And if he isn't, then he isn't God. The guy who computer, created the computer isn't running around inside the computer. Uh, he's not in there changing numbers and, and doing different things and, and whatnot. God is outside time, space, and matter. He's above it, beyond it, uh, and unaffected by it, and yet fully aware and indeed involved in his creation. So first and foremost, I think Christmas is a time for you to contemplate, is it plausible that a God could exist? That there could be a God that transcends time and space and matter? Uh, Could there be a great and awesome God, the creator of time, the creator of space, the heavens, the creator of matter, the earth? And could it be that if you seek this God sincerely with all your heart, that that God promises you that you will find him. His purpose, at least according to scripture's perspective, is to be found by you. His purpose is to be loved by you, known by you. His invitation is ask, seek, and knock, and that door will be open to you. If we were to take God at his word, this Christmas could be an opportunity for us to find God in a new and profound way, to contemplate the wonder of all wonders. Now, this Christmas, I think more than that, is an opportunity to contemplate not just whether you were created by God, but whether you were created for God, and in what way you were created for God. Genesis 1.26, God says, and there's a conversation within the Godhead, God says, Let us, not me, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's one of the most profound verses in all of scripture. And loaded into that verse is a lot about God's personality and who he is. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. Countless volumes have been written about these verses, people contemplating what they might mean. But I think, among many things, these verses declare that, number one, God is intensely relational in and of himself, in himself. He's relational. Uh, And more than that, God is intentionally relational. So, intensely relational because wherever God is presented, he's given a personal name. He's speaking, conversing, conferring within his mysterious nature. The Bible refers to the composition of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they exist in eternal relationship, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Godhead. And there's something profoundly interdependent, coexistent, co-eternal about the Father, Son, and Spirit. We find them working in unity and concert. In fact, the Hebrews would say the Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. He's one. There's a oneness to everything that they're doing. And there's a profound relational nature to God. But then that relational God endows us with many things, but among things he endows us with, he endows us with relational capacity. 
Not only the ability to relate to one another, male and female, or to a larger society, but he gives us a capacity to relate to himself. God creates us with a capacity to reciprocate spiritual relationship with the divine. Here we are bound in many ways by time, space, and matter, and we relate to things within time, space, and matter within that continuum. But God has given us a hunger and longing to relate to something beyond mere time, space, and matter. He's created us for a relationship with himself. We're hardwired in that way. You know, we know that uh, matter can't reproduce anything according to any other kind than itself. For example, a rock, what do you get from a rock? You know, maybe pebbles, but a rock, you get rock from rock. And dust, you know, from dust to dust, you get dust from dust. And H2O, you get H2O from H2O. There may very well be variations within any one thing or a species, but no one has really ever discovered a mechanism whereby one thing can become entirely a different thing, fundamentally that is. No one has discovered a mechanism by which a rock can become anything other than its own kind. A rock doesn't become H2O, it doesn't become water. And matter, dead matter, star, dust, doesn't suddenly become living, breathing, or a soul, or spiritual, or any of these things. In Genesis 1 and 2, this is acknowledged in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, the plants and animals that are created, they can only reproduce according to their own kind. They can't leap into some entirely new category or, or some entirely different thing. And it's that way with humankind as well, that humankind is specially created, not in plant likeness or animal likeness or in the likeness of matter, but we're created like God in the image of God, that we have a capacity that rocks and plants and animals don't have. And it's a capacity for us to personally not only conceptualize the idea of God, but to personally relate to God. Not just speak of God, but to pray and to, and to, and to worship God and, and for that relationship to be something far more than just an idea. We've certainly been created to live within time, space, and matter, but our soul seems to want to break out of the bounds of time, space, and matter. And what I mean is the soul that we have lives in the present, but it roams freely from past to present and even contemplates the future. And the soul that we have, uh, it's certainly we live in, in, in time and space, but our soul uh, can, can transcend and seems unbound by the height and width and breadth of something. We can contemplate vastly different perspectives far beyond the space that we occupy. And the Bible says we're a mist or a vapor. Uh, we have this state of, of being a vapor or a mist that appears for a while and then disappears. Uh, science tells us that we're primarily like H2O, we're water, right? We're liquid. And the, the physical part of us that's matter is we're materially uh, made up of carbon. And yet, we're more than just those things, aren't we? We're more than just a vapor, we're more than just liquid. We're more than just carbon. We matter infinitely more than the sum total of our own matter. For example, we have consciousness. You know, Elon Musk says consciousness is like this, this flicker, this flame of a candle burning amidst a vast, unspeakable darkness. 
We have the light of consciousness. We have longings and desires and hopes and aspirations. We have names. We have language, the ability to speak and emotions and, and the ability to perceive far beyond our own space, you know, sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch, intuition. We have this insatiable need to, need to connect, to relate, to, to know and be known, to love and be loved, to be good even, and to do good. We have a, a spiritual hard wiring, not just to contemplate, but to personally relate to something far greater than ourselves, to relate to the wonder of wonders, to relate to God himself. You know, what if not only have we been created by God, but what if we've been created for a relationship with that God? I can only invite you this Christmas to contemplate, not just that God exists and you were created by him, but that you were created for him. What if God has beget us in his own likeness, in his own image, with his own relational capacities and consciousness? What if divine consciousness is the the, the, the mystery of why we have consciousness. You know, consciousness begets consciousness, you know. Well, what if there's a God who transcends time, space, and matter? What if that God is not only relational but created us to be in relationship with himself? Uh, what if knowing and loving and worshiping God even participating in his divine nature, like living into the spiritual, not just the material, physical parts of our lives. But what if that's the very thing that we were created for and that if we lock into, we find satisfaction and peace and so many other treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and most of all, grace and mercy. I want to leave you with, with another if. What if not only does this God exist and not only were you created for him, but what if this God made himself known in the likeness of Jesus Christ? What if the God of the universe, and if anyone could, it would be the God of the universe, what if God entered time, entered into space? What if he took on human form, material human form, carbon, H2O? What if he became like a... a, a a reality who lived and dwelt among us for a time. What if the God of the universe entered our world? Would we recognize that God? Could we know God through his son? This is the true significance, I think, of Christmas. Not just that God exists, not just that we're created for a relationship with him, but God in his desire to relate to us became like us, to draw us onto himself. And he does it in the most extraordinary way, which we'll unpack in this series. But this, to me, is the true significance of Christmas, to contemplate these things, to not just dismiss it as fanciful, but to really lay hold of the mystery of God in Christ revealed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hmm. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created, and in him was life, and that life was like a light to men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us in time, in space, in flesh. We observed the glory of God, 
The glory of the one and only Son sent from the Father himself. He came full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God. He's invisible. He's spiritual. And yet the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he's revealed the Father to us. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world but was revealed in these last days for you. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope can be in God. God's not dead. Hope's not dead. Hope's alive because God's alive and because he made Christ alive, not just in human form amongst us, but through resurrection to demonstrate that death is not our final reality, that God is the final reality for which we were created and, and for whom we live and exist and move and have our being, and he's our creator and sustainer, and he's the goal and purpose of our life. Though existing in the form of God, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited, but he emptied himself of that divinity, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth in the beginning, right? Visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things hold together. But more than that, God was pleased to have all of his fullness, his likeness, his image. He was pleased to have all of that on full display, dwelling in Jesus, so that through Jesus he could reconcile the most important things, all things to himself, the most important being you and me, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, his relational holy nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We'll talk about that next week. But if not only God exists, but you're created for God, and if God took on human form in time, space, and matter, if God entered in to draw us to himself, would we recognize the God of the universe in the face of Christ, would we recognize him? If the Bible is true and only you, you know, you have to evaluate that for yourself. I'd like you to leap, but you have to, you have to walk through and struggle with that question yourself. If the Bible is true, Jesus is the mystery of mysteries. He's the wonder of wonders. In him, the veil of heaven gets torn back and God removes mystery and makes himself fully known to us plainly in time, space, and matter in a way that we can relate. Could Jesus be the son of God? The wonder of wonders come in space and time and human form. Are you open sincerely to even the possibility, the question? Deuteronomy 4.29, you will search for the Lord your God. I don't think you can just dismiss all this. You might say that you can, but deep down, this question nags at all of us because it's a question that God hardwires us to struggle with. You will search for the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Could this Christmas be a pivotal moment 
where the biggest piece is put in the middle of the puzzle of your life, that God give you understanding and shed light on the mystery of himself in Christ. We're going to behold in Christ the spectacular wonders of all the the riches, of the, the treasures of wisdom in Christ. We're going to look at who Christ is from some different angles this Christmas. So I hope uh, you'll join us as we uh, begin this journey. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, we pray that you open our eyes, that you open our hearts, that you illumine our doubts, you illumine our misunderstandings, you, you take uh, this conversation and connect the dots that you would connect. We pray that you would lead us personally deeper into a knowledge of, of you in Christ. We pray that, uh, that we can be an instrument, that by your grace, we can have conversations and, and, and we can be of utility to your kingdom and, and hold out Christ during this hopeless season for so many. Uh, use us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.